Good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand up together. We're going to begin our worship this morning with a song you know. It's called Lion and the Lamb. Let's sing the praises of our God who is all-powerful. It's why we worship Him this morning.
go ahead and be seated for just one moment. I'll never, ever, ever get over the fact that we get to do this, that we get to come into the Holy of Holies, the very heart of God, and enter into worship with Him. You know who gathers in this worship today? All around the world, believers all around the world are gathering here today. Angels gather today. The great elders before the throne gather today. We are gathering in good company, folks. Good company as we worship the Lamb and the Lion. What a wonderful time it is. Hey, before we continue this morning, I want to call us to prayer. Uh, I mentioned this last week. I want to come back here again. I want us to be praying for a Georgia Baptist children's home. We had a video about that last week. I I want you to understand... The Georgia Baptist Children's Home does not get money from our state cooperative program budget. That's not, it's not part of that, okay? They don't get a piece of the pie. They are funded entirely by <clears throat> churches and individuals who set aside money out of their budget to care for them, all right? Now, we do that as part of our regular budgeting process every year. We have a portion that we send to our Georgia Baptist Children's Home. And then once or twice a year, We have special offerings that we take up as well to buttress that. Many churches have had to drop our children's home from their giving. Many churches have have lost in in their giving over the year, and they've had to cut back here, they've cut back here, cut back there. We have not done that, thank God, so far. We've been able to maintain our faithfulness to supporting them. But this is the time of year that we want to take up a special offering for them. Years ago, when I first started in ministry, it was still pretty much an orphanage. When you would get a child, you would have that child until you graduated them from high school, they went into the service or into a trade school, some, a few of them into college. But now it's been the great joy to be able to minister to the families. We get to reunite a lot of these families, where in the past we haven't been able to do that because we're working with the family system and not just with individuals. But we still have children that spend years and years with us under our care. But we get to pour Jesus into them. Many, many, many of them come to faith in Jesus Christ. The majority of them come to faith in Christ while they're there. And we're able to get them on a good, firm footing as they move out in life. So I I ask you, please pray how God could use you to impact children you may never get to see till you get to heaven. But Impact their lives by giving to our Georgia Baptist Children's Home. Give that as part of your offering at the conclusion of our service. As you leave through any of the doors, the offering plates will be there. Just earmark it in some way, and we would appreciate it. Pray with me now. Father, I just want to pray for Kenny and for all of those who minister your grace to these children and families, the creative ways that they have, have ministered into families that It just looked impossible. And yet, Lord, you by your grace has given them away. Father, I want to pray for our children, all different ages. Some who come to us from very, very, very broken families and broken backgrounds. Hurting deeply. Seeking to find worth and value in themselves. And Lord, we get to point them to you, the one who loves children and the one who reunites families. So Father, we pray blessings on all of those who minister your grace at our children's home. And Father, I want to pray for us that you would give us great inspiration to where we can can set aside a very special amount of what you've blessed us with that we can grace the children's home ministry in a very special way. 
And we thank you for that even now. Now we get to worship you. We enter into your presence with song. We just bring praise and thanksgiving before you. Now bless this with your presence. Bless this with your anointing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. My name is Matthew. Uh, for those of you that may be new, don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here at First Baptist. Um, I have the pleasure of getting to present to you guys this awesome group of seniors. And normally we do this in May. Um, those of you that have been hiding under a rock, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And everything was thrown off. And these guys had a massive curveball thrown at them in the middle of their senior years. And they have handled it with grace, and, or at least as far as I've seen. Now, they might have complained and yelled in private, but from what I've seen, they have handled it so well. Um, and I wanted not to do this on video and then play it later. I wanted this to be in person um, for those of you that are here to get to experience that, to see them, to hear from them. Um, they're an awesome group, and, you know, one of the, there are many wonderful things about, about student ministry, but one of the hardest parts is when you have to let them go, and this has been a really weird ending to a year, um, and so it does, it, it hurts to, to watch them walk out of student ministry, but I know that each and every one of them is going to do so many incredible things. Um, just real quick, I want to read to y'all, and this is a verse that always gets used for youth ministry, for, for young people, but 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. One phrase that I can't stand as a student pastor is when people say to younger people that you're the future of the church. No, you're the church right now. You do not have to be 40 and married with kids to make a difference in the church, in the world. You guys have every opportunity before you to make a difference for Jesus. And man, don't waste those opportunities. Wherever you're at, whether you're going off to college, whether you're going to be working, you guys have an awesome opportunity to show the world Jesus. Um, I love you guys uh, a lot. And so what's going to happen now is they're going to come up and present themselves, and they're going to be getting a Bible that usually you guys would have been uh, highlighting in, but Aunt Rona came, and so our staff has been highlighting verses in it. Um, just as encouragement for them. And then they also have a laundry basket down here full of a few things. Um, so that's a reminder to do laundry. Um, and there's washcloths and a towel in there. So take showers. Um, which I know y'all know that. But I'm going to pass it off to them. Um, if you see them at the end of the service today, maybe don't hug them. But just show them some love and just wish them well. Be praying for this group. Um, so yeah. Hello everybody. My name is Bryson Baker and um, in the fall I will be attending the University of Georgia to major in biology.
My name is David Van Pelt, and I will be majoring in kinesiology at the University of North Georgia. My name is Hilary Lewis, and I will be working for this year and hopefully next year studying psychology. My name is Sadie Underwood, and I'm attending the or Western Carolina University to study nutrition and dietetics. All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And I just thank you for, God, just the opportunity that we have to be here, to get to worship you, God, to, like Brother Fred said earlier this morning, we get to be here. We get to worship you. We get to praise you. We get to love you. God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for, God, their heart, their love for people, their joy, and their zeal for life. God, I pray that you will continue that as they head even deeper into their future. God, wherever they're at, remind them that you go with them. That no matter what they face, they have a hope because of you. Not a hope in worldly situations, not a hope in people but a hope that you are God and you are who you say you are. God, the fact that you are our Savior and our Lord. So just remind them of that wherever they find themselves. God, remind them that they have a church family here that is cheering them on wherever they go and that they always have a home here in Blairsville. God, so we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. This song is called Call Upon the Lord. I need no other hiding place. My hope is safe within your name. This we know. This we know. You promise never to forsake. you begin you will sustain this we know this we know I will call upon the Lord for he alone is strong enough to save right your shackles are no more Jesus Christ of 
truth this morning that Jesus Christ has broken every chain. He has set us free. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. Jesus' name above every other. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Sing this song out with us. It's called King of My Heart. I want you, God, to be the Lord of my life, the King of my heart, the ruler of my days. Let's sing this out together. Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide the ransom for my life oh he is my song you are good good oh and you are good good the king of my heart be the fire 
pray together. God, we thank you that you are good. As we come to this time in our service right now, Lord, focus us in on who you are, on what you've done, on the blessings that you have just so richly blessed us with. God, we just, we thank you right now. But Lord, help us to understand. Help us to focus also sometimes on the difficulty. To focus on strife, to focus on hardship. Not because, Lord, we want to dwell on it. We want to sink into it. 
but because, God, we want to make sure that we focus on you so that you can use that difficulty, so that you can use hardship to grow us, to mold us in your image, to bring us forward, sanctified as believers, and deeper into our relationship with you. God, right now as we enter this time of giving, as we give online, as we give in different ways, Lord, than normal, we just ask that you would move our hearts to continue to be faithful the way that you have been faithful to us, Lord. Let us not use the excuse right now, Lord, that things are different because, Lord, things are not different to you. It is the same as it always was supposed to be. And Lord, just like you have seen us through difficulty, you have seen us through hardship, Lord, let us have the strength to be faithful. Let us have the strength to give back to you what you have so richly blessed us with. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Sing How Great the Chasm. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living hope who could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace a god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross the cross has spoken i am forgiven the King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm Yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Praise the One who set me free. Hallelujah.
came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declare the grave has no claim on me let's declare that this morning then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body time together because we can't sing that enough that Jesus Christ has made a way that Jesus Christ has conquered death that he has victory over the grave and in a time right now where something that we're a little bit wary of is sickness is disease we still proclaim truth we do not have a spirit of fear but instead we have a spirit of faith of belief in the God who has moved mountains who has conquered death, who is a living hope. So let's sing it out to him one more time this morning. In faith, that we come here, we social distance, we wear masks, not because we are afraid, but because we love one another the way that he has loved us. We want to take care of one another the way that he has taken care of us, and we trust that at the end of the day, one way or another, he will receive the glory regardless of what we do. So let's sing it out to him this morning in faith that he is the living hope that we put our trust in. 
Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are. It is in that name, the name of Jesus, the living hope, that we call on you right now and ask that you would work, that you would help us to focus on who you are, that we'd focus on your word right now as it is preached to us a body from our pastor, a leader that you have put in place to shepherd a flock. God, we thank you for this time that we have to sing, and we thank you for the time that is to come as we read this word and understand your scripture. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Acts chapter 1. And I want to, originally we planned on starting with verse 4, but I want to start with verse 1 and don't let that throw you any. <clears throat> it may not be on the overhead, but you'll, you'll catch up. Follow along with your Bibles if you have them with you. Today we come to the end of a series we've been calling Surprised My Faith. And it's been on the post-resurrectional appearances of Jesus Christ. We have recorded in the Scripture ten different times that Jesus appeared bodily before the disciples and other people after the resurrection. And during that period of time... <clears throat> We, many of this is recorded. Now, of those three of those times, we know very little about. It just says that he appeared to Peter, he appeared to James, he appeared to 500 at one time. We don't know specifics about what all that was about, but we do know that it happened. But the other seven, we have a great deal of information about. And so we looked at how Mary was surprised by faith. Mary went to the tomb expecting to find uh, a dead uh, Jesus and found one very much alive. And she was surprised, and then Jesus bolstered her faith to go back and share her story with the resurrected Lord. Then he appeared to Cleopas and his friend on the way to Emmaus. And they were troubled, they were walking, saying, oh, we don't understand all the things that have happened. The one we thought was the Messiah has been killed. <clears throat> well then, Jesus began to talk to them, began to open the scriptures about how it was very obvious, very clear, that this was supposed to happen this way. And then as he was eating supper with them, as he broke the bread, suddenly their eyes were open. They realized, this is Jesus. They were surprised. And the faith that he had instilled in them from the Word of God drove them back to Jerusalem to share their story. Then we have two different occasions that Jesus appeared to the twelve in the upper room. One Thomas wasn't there, one that he was. But what he did is he then surprised them, but he bestowed peace upon them. And more than that, he opened their minds to the Scriptures to where they could understand all the things that were said concerning him. Later, he appeared to seven of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. We studied that the last couple of weeks. And while he surprised them by appearing on the, the shore, but the lesson was, hey, you can't even fish without me. You can't even go back to life as you knew it apart from me. So I want you to know with my anointing you can do everything that I told you to do. Then as he, they ate breakfast together, he pulled Peter off to one side <clears throat> and as Peter was surprised. He was surprised not by the presence of the Lord, but the Lord went back and recaptured some of his denials. 
Don't you hate it when the Lord has us, you know, go back and we have to rehash some things we've already been through? It was important, though, because three different times Peter had denied him, and now three times he had opportunity to pledge his love to the Lord Jesus. And out of that, he was given the faith to shepherd the flock of God. And he was the chief pastor, the chief shepherd of the church in those early days. Now we come to the last of those appearances. It's up on the Mount of Olives, not there in the Garden of Gethsemane, but on top of the mountain. It runs a ridge that runs um, just to the west, uh, excuse me, to the east of town. Uh, and along that ridge somewhere up there, Jesus was talking to them. We don't know exactly where. We know some places in the Holy Land exactly this is where it happened, this little square inch. But there are other places we know the general area. There are three different chapels built up there for the ascension. Uh, each one claims this is the place. Don't really know for sure. What we do know is that somewhere along that ridge, Jesus ascended to go back to the Father. And along that ridge, he'll come back and he'll put his foot down one day and he will return to this world. We're going to talk about those things in just a few moments. But this is the setting. This is where this happened. They were already with Jesus, so they were not surprised by his presence. They were surprised by the ascension and surprised by the faith that was infused in them to go being about the Father's business. One little bit of background before we go on. I want you to be aware, if you don't already know, that Dr. Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, but also Acts. Both of these books were his. You notice how he starts both of them, written to a man named Theophilus, how he ends both of them. But specifically, I want you to be reminded, he ends the Gospel of Acts with a very brief account of the ascension, excuse me, the Gospel. But then he starts the book of Acts with a much more detailed uh, uh, presentation of the ascension. And that's what we're going to read here this morning. So Acts chapter 1, I'm going to begin with verse 1, where he introduces who he's written this to. The former account I made, that was the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now I want you to pay attention to verse 3 for a moment. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. This is key. Many infallible proofs. Being seen by them during... Forty days, this is the only place it's mentioned in the Scriptures, how long these appearances went on. Forty days, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together, we'll pick up verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, 
why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for so leading Luke to record this extended version of the ascension here in Acts that he had just alluded to at the end of his gospel. And Father, thank you for the things that you have encouraged him to say that will encourage our hearts here today. For you've called us to an incredible task. You've called us to a formidable cause. To be about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. To the end that every man, woman, boy, and child on this planet will hear about your love and your grace, your death, your resurrection, and the possibility of salvation in your name. What an awesome task. We can't do this in our own power. Sometimes we try, but we can't do this in our own power. We need your anointing. And so help us to receive from you today the anointing and the tools that you gave us For this purpose, we pray together in Christ's name, amen. Understand, this is not just a commission to these these 11 disciples. This is not just a calling for preachers and missionaries. This is a calling to the church of Jesus Christ. But it's an incredible calling. It's a tremendous calling. It encompasses our entire globe. And and this is something that Mark is called to, that Julie is called to. Every one of us is called to this purpose. And, and, you know, Peter would say at one time, who is equal to this task? Who is equal to this? None of us are equal to this apart from the anointing. So here, recorded in these words, are four very powerful tools that Jesus has left us that will enable us individually as well as collectively to be the church, to share the gospel with power and effectiveness. So this is what we're going to look for this morning at home. If you haven't already downloaded your notes, please take a moment to do that, print them off, and we're going to go over these four significant points this morning, these four tools that Jesus places into our toolbox that encourages us, empowers us, enables us, to be his church. First of all, to do the work that God has called you and I to do individually as well as collectively, we've got to have a solid foundation. That's the first one. A solid foundation. And so for us to see that solid foundation, Jesus gives two examples right here uh, of what that foundation looks like. The first is the many proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. That's a solid foundation for our work. This is the factuality of the resurrection. Folks, here's what I want you to know. We do not base our faith on something we hope. We don't base our faith on something we think happened. Many infallible proofs. That's what the Scriptures here say, was left for us. Many convincing proofs. The uh, Amplified Bible says, unquestionable demonstrations of what? That Jesus Christ is alive. Alive. That He came back to life from the dead. Infallible proofs. Unquestionable proofs. Our faith is built 
on fact, not hope. Will you take that to the bank with me? That is so very, very important for us to grasp this. Jesus wanted us to know, I'm not asking you to believe in some phantasmical thing. I want you to base it on fact. So, what are these facts? Well, first of all, His visible appearances. His visible appearances. He didn't just appear to one person, and that one person came and say, Oh, I've seen Jesus alive. You can believe me. No. And not just to two or three. And not just to the eleven of the twelve that was left. Upwards of towards six hundred people saw Him over a period of these forty days. Different times, different places, there was a visible evidence. But that wasn't near enough because, you know, that could be a, a group hallucination, or that could be wishful thinking, or that could even be some kind of a phantom. But no, here's the physical evidence. Jesus showed up, and He said, Come, not only see Me, but I want you to handle Me. I want you to touch Me. I want you to put your finger in the hole in My hand and put your hand into the hole in My side. I want you to know this is Me, and I am alive. This is imperative. It's imperative. Grasp this. Because Jesus was depending on the testimony, the eyewitness testimony of real-life people who could attest to the fact that Jesus was alive. We do not base our faith on hope so, but know so. The testimony of witnesses over the years. Upwards of 640 different days. Not only this, Jesus said, hey, I'm hungry. You got anything to eat around here? He ate in front of them, okay? Spooks don't do that, all right? He ate in front of them. And then as he taught them, what does he teach? He taught them, you remember all the things I've taught you for all these three years? Have I built on all these things about the kingdom of God? Let me teach you some more about the kingdom. And he began to preach and teach about the kingdom. These all come together as a guarantee. And then one last thing I've got to throw in that is his own prophetic words. Jesus began to tell them early in his ministry while he was still with them, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. And then he did it. Okay? It's important to know he called the shot. You know what that means? You know, I spent a lot of my early days in the pool hall. <laughs> and it's one thing to just shoot, and if something goes in, you say, well, I meant that. No. What you have to do, you call the shot ahead of time. You say, I'm putting the tin ball in the corner pocket. You call the shot, then you make the shot. That's what Jesus did. He said, this is what I'm going to do now. Watch me make the shot. And he did. So all together give us absolute impeccable, verifiable, empirical, historical fact upon which we base our faith. Know this, my friend. Paul says, look, if Christ has not been risen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we have no faith. It's empty, it's vaporous. We don't have nothing. Because it's all based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus knew this. He said, so you have to have absolute, infallible, 
uh, infallible, empirical, historical, verifiable proof. This is one of the foundation stones that he's leaving us. The other foundation stone has to do with this teaching of the kingdom. The kingdom of God. This was from the very early on. Mark chapter 1 records this in verse 15. That here's what Jesus came. Here was the sermon. Okay? He came preaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Mark says. This is Jesus' message. This is his sermon. So he's preaching about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is wherever Jesus Christ is reigning. You want to see the kingdom? David, is Jesus alive in your heart? Have you surrendered to him? He's the Lord in your life. There's the kingdom right there. There's the kingdom. The kingdom is wherever Jesus Christ is reigning supreme. Is he reigning in your heart? Is he reigning in your family? Is he reigning in your small group Bible study? Is he reigning in your church? There's the kingdom. There's an aspect of that that's future, the millennial reign of Christ and then the eternal reign of Christ. There's an aspect of that that is right now. And that's where Jesus is reigning in the heart that is surrendered to him. Now, an interesting thing, I want to chase a quick rabbit here, and I'll get back online in just a moment. Jesus' preaching was repentance as well as faith. There has been a movement among evangelicals over the course of the last 30 or 40 years to separate these two. Let me tell you how it comes across practically. All right? Well, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and He saved me from my sins and saved me from hell when I was five years old. But I, I lived the way I wanted to, and when I got that I was 25 years old, that's when He became the Lord of my life. Listen very carefully. That's not biblical teaching. You don't ask Christ to be your Savior and then later on make up your mind He's to be your Lord. These two are inextricably woven together in the Word of God. You don't get to choose one or the other. They're both and. And Jesus' preaching was repentance. That's a change of lifestyle. He would later call it being born again. Paul was so enamored with this absolute transformation, he called it the new creation, who we are in Christ. Repentance, a change of heart, a change of attitude that results in a change of action. You go from living for the devil to living to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing it your own way. You're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus preached. That's what Paul preached. That's what Peter preached. And it better be what we preach. It's not either or, folks. God is a call to a changed lifestyle. A change of heart that results in a change of action. The Bible connects these together. So, he said you need a solid foundation. And he gives two examples. The actual, verifiable, empirical, historical evidence for the resurrection and the kingdom of God right in under our nose in the lives of people whom he has transformed. The second tool that he gives us to do Jesus' work effectively in our individual lives and in our church is we've got to have sufficient power. Sufficient power. There is no way that we can effectively 
reach the entire planet with the gospel of Christ apart, apart from the anointing of Holy Spirit. It's just never going to happen, never has happened, never will happen. Okay, the power has to come from Him. This is imperative. Now, here's what I want you to see. When Jesus was standing there teaching about the kingdom, what was the question that was asked? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they looking for? They were looking for a political kingdom. Still, they were looking for, for the power to be vested in Him here on planet Earth for now. Now, you notice Jesus did not tell them, ah, Israel's not ever going to be the center of this world. Israel's never going to return to its former glory. Israel's never going to have a king. No, 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 you got it all wrong. He didn't say that. He didn't correct them that that was going to happen. What did he do? He corrected them as to when that was going to happen. He said, and, and this, is, this is the Fred Lodge paraphrase, <laughs> When that's going to happen ain't none of your business. That's decided in the heart of God. He and He alone knows when that's going to happen. Your business is to be sharing the gospel. I think it's very important to study, study prophecy. I think it's very important to study eschatology, to know what are the signs and the things that are going on. We need to have our Bible in one hand and be watching the news on the other. Well, we need to be thinking in terms of how all of these things are coming together. But not to be so caught up in that prophecy stuff that you are not sharing the gospel. If Jesus were to come back now, would he find you faithful in having done what he left us to do? He didn't leave us to decide the times. He left us to share the gospel. And when he comes, that's what he's going to be judging us on. Not how well we guessed his timing. Hey, y'all know what? I got it so right, I was standing outside looking up to the east and bam, I was the first one to see him. Look at me. No. That's never to be our goal. Let me tell you what I, I would love for each and every one of you. That you're sitting there and you're holding hands with somebody, leading them to pray to receive Jesus Christ into their heart. And that's when He comes. That's when He comes to where He takes you to glory and you're carrying somebody with you. What a blessing that would be. That's the calling here. It's the power of Holy Spirit to use my story of my transformation and the gospel of Jesus Christ together, and then he anoints that in such a way, people are born again. They're born into the kingdom of God. You've got to understand, this is not our responsibility to do on our own merit. Let me chase another rabbit. You and I are called to be witnesses. Listen to me. We're not called to be salespersons. There is a world of difference. In my earlier days, that's what Valeria and I did. We were in sales and marketing. That's, that's where we were. And we had classes and were taught about how to approach a sale and how to close out that sale, how to, how to get that customer to buy more than they ever planned to, and then how to get them to refer and bring other people back to you. It was all about sales, closing the sale. 
That's not witnessing. You and I are not called out to sell Jesus. Holy Spirit sells Jesus. You and I are called to be faithful witnesses of what He's done in our lives and share how that happened. Okay? To share what's happened in our life. That's what a witness is. A witness goes in, and he doesn't go into a courtroom to sell the judge or sell the jury. He goes in and says, here's what I observed. Here's what happened to me. Here is my experience in this matter. So what is this world needs from you and I? What difference has it made? What difference has Jesus made in your life? How have you been born again? How, how are you now a new creation? How's that? And then, how did that happen? Well, that's when you share the gospel. That's when you share. God has always loved mankind so much that before time began, He made a way that men and women, boys and girls could be saved. And that was God becoming a human being, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. And He lived a perfect sinless life. But then He died on the cross to take my sins and yours upon Himself and rose again the third day that we could have His very life. And that by confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, and allowing Him to be the Lord in our lives, we are totally transformed. This is essential, folks. This is essential. This is what we're called to be. Holy Spirit is the power. You know, in, in the Old West, you know, the gunslingers, you know, they would have their gun, they, they put a notch on their gun for every one of the people they killed, supposedly something like that. You know, you don't put a notch in your Bible for every person that you've led to the Lord and say, look, see how many of it. It's not about that, folks. Because you and I are not salespeople. You and I present our story of God's grace working in our lives and tell people how that happened to us and then Holy Spirit in His anointing draws those to Jesus. Draws them to faith in Christ. You're His tool, His conduit, but you don't walk away in pride. You walk away in utmost humility that God saw fit to use you in His process. We need sufficient power. And that power is Holy Spirit. Not just Holy Spirit to give you the right words to say. Listen to me. But for Holy Spirit to be able to back up what you say with your lifestyle. You see, if you're living like a lost person and telling people they need to be saved, listen to me, please quit. Please quit. You're being a very poor witness. And it has nothing to do with your salesmanship. It's just when your life doesn't balance with what you say. Rather, the Holy Spirit of God gives you the power to walk in holiness, to walk in obedience, to walk faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that incredible change in your life, then that becomes the evidence. See how my life has changed? Not bragging on me, but what God has done to change my life. How is He working in your life? How has He transformed your 
life. This is the key. This is the critical. So we need sufficient power. Third, to, to do what God's called us to do and to do it with effectiveness, you and I have to have a sharp focus. A laser focus. And that's what Jesus was doing in verses 6, 7, and 8 here. He was refocusing them. They were saying, well, what about, what about the kingdom? You know, is, is, is now you're going to come sit on the king and we get to sit on your right hand and your left hand and we boss everybody around? Is, is, is now the time for that? Jesus refocused them. It's not about that. Your job is to share the gospel. That's your focus. That's what you're to be about. You're to be so eat up with, how do I turn this conversation to where it will go towards Jesus? How can I ask the question or get the opportunity to focus this conversation back on Jesus? You and I average about 55 conversations a day. Sometimes more, sometimes less, but we average 55 conversations a day. How many of those do you have the opportunity to then with laser focus put it back on Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Let's talk about the way he's changing lives. Let's talk about what he wants to do in your heart and your life. I mean, it's amazing to me. Valeria and I had to go to the bank the other day. We had some paperwork to give and, and go over with things. And I, I'm, I'm going through all the papers. I'm trying to get it all. I'm, I'm just focused on this at the time. My wife stays focused on talking to people about Jesus a lot more than you do, than I do. And so twice in that conversation, she said, oh, it's a God thing. Let me tell you how God did that. And I'm sitting here. She did it again. Embarrassed me. Out Jesus the preacher, Okay. But that's because her, her mind, that's, that's how she's focused. How do I move this conversation with my neighbor, with the grocer, with the bank teller? How do I focus this back on Jesus? That's the orientation that makes a difference in my life and yours. And those around us. How quickly do you and I get that conversation to focus on Jesus? You, in, in order to be efficiently used, you and I have got to be focused on that. That has to be where we're going. You walk into there, yes, we got business we got to do. I got to see the doctor. I got to tell him my symptoms, this, that, and the other. But somewhere in the back of that head, there needs to be the reality. That man needs to hear about Jesus. And I'm here today, and the only one in this room that can do that. Are you, are, do you think that way? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't be so focused on when the kingdom's coming or, or, or what are the signs or whatever. Get focused on sharing the gospel. That's why I'm leaving you here. That's what you need to be focused on. And he said, I want you to do it in concentric circles. Right here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Jeru- uh, uh, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, now, You've heard this over and over again. I know it's old, old stuff. But let me share with you a little bit about that. When he said Jerusalem, those men might have said, Jesus, do you remember? <laughs> it's these guys in Jerusalem that just killed you and that are hunting us down. You mean we're to go talk to them? Uh-huh. 
And, and, and these people in Judea, I mean, they came in here waving the palm branches and everything and singing hallelujah, and within a week, they were putting a knife in your back. You mean them? Uh-huh. And Samaria, those half-breeds, those, those, those racially intertwined half-breeds, you want us to go talk to them? Uh-huh. And then to the nations, the pagans, those who worship idols, those who are in all of the sexual orgies and all of the... You want us to go to... Uh-huh. You know what, what, what we do as Christians? We look in our neighborhood, people moving in, and we look for people that look like us. Culturally. And then we look for people who believe like we do. And if they believe like we do, and they look like we do, and they smell like we do, and they talk like we do, then we say, hey, you want to come church with me? That's what, what Jesus calls us to do. Those I want you targeting are those that don't look nothing like you. But these are the ones that I love. And these are the ones I've given my heart and my life for. And these are the ones I'm calling you to join me in reaching in loving, and in sharing the kingdom. Sharply focused. You know, a sad reality is, though, many of us, if put to the test right this minute, would not be able to share the elements of the gospel with somebody. A couple years ago, I heard someone come in the door and say, Can I see the preacher? I got somebody I want to introduce the preacher to. And so they, they brought him back. And he's a regular, regular member of our church family. Just a great fellow. He said, my friend here needs to hear how to be saved. So I brought him to you. Tell him how to be saved. And I said, why don't you tell him and I'll help you. He dropped his head. He looked up. Preacher, I don't know how. Thank God for his honesty. I tell you what, he knows how now. And he's doing it quite regular. But listen. How are you going to lead anyone to faith in Christ when you don't know it yourself? When you don't know the steps of the gospel yourself? Derek and I made a commitment to you a year ago that we would not stand in this pulpit, that we did not go over and over and over the elements of the gospel. We have kept that. I hope you understand you're hearing it week after week after week. That God, before time began in the great councils of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they made a way for their lost creation to be redeemed. And that ray was the second person of the Godhead. God the Son, to become a human being. To live a sinless life. But to die on the cross to take my sins and yours upon himself. And rise again the third day that we could have his resurrected life. That by believing in him and confessing our sins and repenting of doing life our own way. Letting him be the Lord of our lives. He transforms our lives. At the drop of a hat. Each and every person in this room and everybody at home needs to be able to share that simple, simple description. If you cannot, I don't say that to embarrass you. I don't say that to hurt your feelings. I say that to say, get on the stick. This is why we're here. 
This is why Jesus left us. So to be able to say, can I tell you the difference Christ has made in my life? What my life was like before, how I came to know I needed Jesus, and the difference in my life now. Can I tell you what happened and how that happened? And that's the gospel. These two are intricately interwoven. Your story and the gospel of how it got trans- you got transformed. These two need to be on the tip of your tongue and the front of your mind all the time. Laser focus. Final is this. Now, our time's running out. You must have a sure hope. We've got to have a solid foundation, a sufficient power, sharp focus, but finally, sure hope. They were standing there. They weren't surprised about Jesus because he was already with them. What surprised them? He began to ascend into the heavens. Was taken up in the Shekinah glory cloud, the presence of God. There they are standing there. Wow. And then they heard the voice of these two guys with them. And this is, is again, the Fred Lodge paraphrase, and it's not anointed by God, but I think it's true. Guys, what are you doing? Standing around here gazing to where he used to be. He gave you your orders. Go and tell. Don't you worry. The same one who left up into that cloud, in that cloud he'll be coming right back one day. That's going to happen. But until he does, you be about the Father's business. You need, we need to have that firm hope. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Boy, I do. I do. And I do. I, I, I get real interested reading my Bible and listening to the news. And hmm, I'm seeing how this, can, this fits here, that fits there. All that's true. But that just gives an urgency. If time's coming short, we got to get on the stick. Sharing the gospel with people who near it. Now, let me ask you. How do these things impact you? How do these things encourage you? How do these embolden you? First of all, do you believe Jesus really was raised from the dead? Do you believe that beyond a shadow of that? Are you willing to stake your life on it? If you're not, you need to get that settled today. Because from the very Word of God, it says, with many, many infallible, absolute, unquestionable proofs, Jesus left us evidence. Don't walk out of here today with any questions whether or not Jesus rose again. There is more evidence that Jesus rose again than there is evidence that you exist. More historical, empirical, verifiable evidence. Don't walk out of here saying, well, we just kind of believe that this... No, it happened! You've got to have that anchor. And we preach what he preaches. Do you understand the gospel in your life and the, how to share your story about what's happened with you? And do you really believe that any day he could be returning? And if he does, his question is going to be, my daughter, son, who are you bringing with you? It's time to go home. Time to go enter into the kingdom. Who are you bringing with you? Well, I, I want you to have I want you to have a yard full of them. He does too. 
This is not to shame you. This is not to embarrass you. This is not to make you guilty. This is to say, here's the purpose for which God has left us behind. How is this impacting you? How will this make it different when you walk out these doors? Jesus left us all we need to be the people of God He wants us to be. Let's pray about that. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, right now, how are we using the tools you left behind to embolden us and empower us to share the gospel? Could it be we really don't believe that you rose again? Maybe we need to go back to basics in our own lives. Do we really believe the gospel? Have you really transformed our lives? Maybe we were saved when we were real little and, and we weren't, you know, a serial killer at five years old. It's not that. But the difference you make in our lives is real nonetheless. Do we really long for your appearing? Does it motivate us while the time is left to hurry and bring people to you? Father, may these embolden us and encourage us and empower us and inform us to be the church of God. In these next few moments, Lord, maybe some folks want to come to the altar and just pray and say, Lord, I'm, I haven't been the witness that you called me to be. But right now, I want to confess that before you. And I want to ask you to empower me to give me the assurances I need. To help me to get trained if I need to be trained. To know how I can share your gospel. And fulfill your reason for leaving me here. Some may want to come to the altar and pray. They don't have to. It doesn't, not something magic about that. But there's something really powerful about coming and kneeling before you, Lord. And making a decision. This message is for the church today. It's not really about people being saved. It's about your saved being saved. Fulfilling our purpose. So move, Holy Spirit, as you choose. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, as Ben leads us in this closing song. This altar is open. You feel free to come and pray if you'd like. Worship Him. Worship Him with our actions.
together. High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. Oh God, be my everything, be my delight, be Jesus my God, you have spoken deep into our hearts today. Thank you for the joy of worshiping, praying, giving, and responding to the word, Holy Spirit, that you've placed in our hearts. May we go forth emboldened, empowered, and impassioned to share your sweet word. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. Mm -hmm.